This is Johnny, the chubby, Caucasian, Christian, closeted conservative. Some might say I'm everything wrong with the world, but don't take their word for it. Make up your own mind. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back. Had a pretty crazy last couple of weeks, going on vacation, working hard, but I was able to find some time and make an episode for you. The last couple of weeks, I have had a few minutes to read a few Fauci files. So just remember, everybody, all of these Fauci files are on my Facebook. I post them, the Fauci files at five. Every... Fauci email I have ever referenced is on my Facebook and every single one that I found interesting or humorous. I just posted one a couple days ago. It was some sort of social media individual emailing Dr. Fauci in late February asking about information about COVID and he gave her basic knowledge of COVID that he wanted public at that time. Now, The thing that I am most interested in when reading these, and it is all over the place, is Dr. Fauci hinting at he was muzzled. I've talked about this the last three or four episodes. My episode of Dr. Fauci, I played a much longer montage of all of this. But this is my favorite parts of Dr. Fauci hinting at him being muzzled by the Trump administration. I can tell you, I I take no pleasure at all in being in a situation of contradicting the president. So it was really something that you didn't feel that you could actually say something and there wouldn't be any repercussions about it. The idea that you can get up here and talk about what you know, what the evidence, what the science is, and know that's it. Let the science speak. It is somewhat of a liberating feeling. Did the lack of candor, did the lack of facts in some cases over the last year cost lives? You know, it very likely did. You know, I don't want that, John, to be a soundbite. Now, some might call liar, liar, pants on fire. I have a slightly different opinion of this. I think Dr. Fauci is just really sucking up to the Joe Biden administration. I thought, I think he thought (laughs) he was going to be working with Donald Trump on the majority of this, as probably the most of us conservatives believe that. And to do a complete 180 and work with Slow Joe, I'm sure these two individuals have much different leadership styles. Is that a good way to word it? And he's just kissing Joe Biden's butt when he talks about how free he is and liberated to speak. Because as I go along reading these emails, time and time and time again, he is asked if he is muzzled. This last week, As I was reading them, I found not one, not two, not three, but four emails where an individual is reaching out an olive branch to him saying, hey, if you are being muzzled, I am here to help. We'll start the first one. These are all late February, early March. This is an email from a Kara Phillips. She's an investigative correspondent for ABC News. I'm just going to paraphrase a lot of this. There's a lot of uh, reading. Again, they're on my Facebook, so go look for them. She starts off with Dr. Fauci. This note is between longtime colleagues, so I guess they have some sort of history together. I want you to know how much I have respected you professionally and medically for nearly 20 years. I also appreciate how honest and transparent you have always been. I know we are in a unique situation. I want to know 
It would never put you in a situation with my correspondence that would jeopardize you in any way. With that said, I hope you keep me informed off the record if need be so I can continue to cover this story honestly and fairly with utmost respect, Kyra. This is the ABC News individual. If Dr. Fauci was in trouble, he could have responded. Maybe he did reach out to her by phone off the record because all his reply is, thanks, Kyra. So maybe he did reach out to her off the record and they never published it. They never did anything about it. This is the only one that's a little iffy where he doesn't immediately come back and say, I was not muzzled. So another email Dr. Fauci received February 27th. This is from a Susan Bradley. There's very little information on her. I'm not really sure how they know each other, but it's interesting to kind of get Dr. Fauci's perspective during this time of COVID. She says, I understand Vice President Pence has ordered you not to inform the public about coronavirus without approval. This is quite terrifying, especially since Trump has already shown his desire to spread false or incomplete information about his public health crisis. Then she does say, I'm planning to fly, fly domestically tomorrow. Is it safe? Dr. Fauci replies, there is much misinformation. I actually have not been muzzled at all by the vice president. And BT dubs, it is safe to fly domestically. Hopefully we all can find common ground that when he says I am not muzzled by the vice president, he is not being muzzled by the vice president. It's interesting. We're going to talk about NPR a lot today. NPR sent Dr. Fauci two emails within 24 hours of each other. They're from different individuals, so maybe they weren't on the, all on the same page, which is embarrassing for them. The first one comes in on February 27th at 2 p.m. Dear Dr. Fauci, this is H.J. from NPR again. I was wondering if you could confirm a New York Times report that says the White House has instructed you not to say anything about the coronavirus outbreak without a prior approval. Kind regards. Dr. Fauci replies, this is not true. It was taken very much out of context. Then we had David Falkflick email Dr. Fauci February 28, 2020. Dr. Fauci, I cover media and flow of information to public for NPR, and I'm also a host. You and I once spoke years ago when I covered John Hopkins over a science research issue. You told a colleague the report you couldn't comment on coronavirus was taken out of context. In what way? Thank you, D. Dr. Fauci replies, I've never been inhabited from interacting with the press. I'm assuming he's just talking about the Trump administration. So I give you more evidence. Three, three and a half emails. The one from Suzanne Bradley is a little iffy, but at least three. And this is we're up to seven or eight emails now where Dr. Fauci has had the opportunity to reach out for help if he's being muzzled by the president of the United States. And every time he has said no, NPR, ABC and Dr. Shalomic, which we spoke about last episode and the episode prior would have all been great people to reach out to ABC. I'm sure you could find them online. This NPR individual, David Falkvik, he lists everything He's got his work address on there, his office phone, his mobile phone, which is redacted and we can't see it. And he has his email. Dr. Fauci could have drove to this individual's work and had an off-the-record conversation with him. Personally, I think I still would have stuck with Dr. Shalomik. The man seems very well-informed. He seems well-balanced. He's not a huge fan of Trump, but the fact that you could sit down with another doctor and hash out and bounce ideas off of what to do when you're in this type of situation seems very helpful. I might even just have reached out to him just in general, just because of stress and to have this nice doctor who says, hey, if you need any help, 
let me know. Again, I, I can't stress this enough. I don't hate Dr. Fauci. I think this COVID pandemic is a once-in-a-lifetime situation. Hopefully, it's a once-in-my-lifetime situation. It's very unique. No one has ever experienced something like this before. So hopefully, we can find common ground that when people experience new things, sometimes they make mistakes. During this whole thing, every time I've talked about Dr. Fauci, I have critiqued him. However, I've never wanted to cancel him. I don't hate Dr. Fauci. I think in the very beginning of COVID, February and March, which are all these emails that I've read from, individuals made mistakes. And Dr. Fauci made a lot of them. And now when he is working for Joe Biden now to even hint at being muzzled and then these emails get released that show him saying the exact opposite, it's very odd. It's very odd. And again, I think checks and balances in our medical fields is a great idea. I know people who have gotten second opinions from doctors, and I think the U.S. government should do something similar. We are a country of checks and balances. Unfortunately, when it comes to the NIH and individuals like Dr. Fauci, they are appointed individuals. Dr. Fauci is appointed. So even if we're like, no, Dr. Fauci did a bad job, it would take his boss or him to step down, to fire him, to get rid of him, to get someone new. So unfortunately, Dr. Fauci doesn't answer to U.S. citizens. And I think the way to solve this would have been another doctor or several other doctors out there. And I would have encouraged them to have different opinions, to check and balance each other, to collaborate and contradict. Now, I'm going to keep going with these Fauci files. I post them all on Facebook. If you've missed some, go on Facebook. Fauci files at five. For some reason, they seem to be my most popular post. I post all of these interesting articles, some funny videos every day, all day. But the Fauci files at five, I always get several new individuals who saw it and an interaction here or there. And one day I hope to get to the bottom of what changed in Dr. Fauci's life between March of 2020 and January of 2021. Why his tone changed. But the only thing I can do is keep reading. Now, I listen to an NPR podcast called Up First. I'm Stefan Stingy, and this is Up First from NPR News. I have a liberal Larry friend. He's a, he's a pretty close friend, and him and I had a discussion one time, and he recommended that I listen to um, this NPR Up First podcast. I'm only a chubby Caucasian Christian closeted conservative, so he was hoping that this would in some way lighten me and help me turn from the dark side. This show is very interesting. It comes on just about every day. On Sundays, they do something a little bit different. But it comes on every day of the week, and it's usually 15 to 20 minutes long. And they claim that it's the news that I need to start my day. Now, it's very interesting that the stories they choose to talk about and the stories that they don't choose to talk about. I don't want to get in that argument, even though I think that's a valid argument. And if I was around with other conservatives and like-minded people, we could have that conversation about the stories that they decided not to cover that day. However, with the liberal Larry or Linda, when you say that it's interesting, the stories that they cover, they're going to tell you that, well, it's only a 15 to 20 minute podcast and they can only do so much, which is somewhat of a valid valid argument and will eventually lead to a stalemate in the conversation because their backup argument can always be, well, John, it's only 15 to 20 minutes. 
Now, <laughs> my favorite part about this podcast is when I'm around a liberal Larry Erlinda, I always love to sneak in that I listen to NPR Up First every morning. And you should see the grin that this like comes across their face as if just like seconds ago they were like, oh, there's John, that chubby Caucasian Christian closet, a conservative. And suddenly they're like, hey, he's only chubby Caucasian and Christian. I don't really know what's going on with this guy. I actually had a friend of mine when I worked it into conversation went, really? Really, John? And NPR? Really? And I was like, yeah, man. Every morning I get my coffee and I put on up first. I listen to Steve Astinky and, you know, I just go through all my day. Of course, he corrected me on his name. And then he told me that his heart actually leapt, that I brought him joy when I mentioned that I listened to this NPR up first podcast. Now, the episode I want to talk about happened on July 16th, and we don't have to have discussion about what they chose to talk for that day or whatever. It's the actual topic that they discussed and their perception of this topic. Uh, I was a history minor in college. Now, I'm not a political science major or even a history major of any kind. However, I don't really know of a society or nation that has thrived under some sort of socialistic Marxism concept. There are countries out there now that are surviving, but my question to you would be, are they thriving? So on this day in the NPR world, they decided to discuss a permanent child tax credit that we were getting from the family COVID relief bill. Has the United States just taken a step toward a universal basic income? These monthly payments are child tax credits for families with kids. They're part of the COVID relief bill passed earlier this year. And because they're structured as monthly payments, not as an annual tax break, experts say they resemble a universal basic income. The idea that almost everyone gets a basic payment for living expenses. And the Treasury Secretary says she wants to keep them going permanently. Uh, so I should note, I have kids, so I got this letter from the IRS, signed by Joe Biden. I got a letter from Joe Biden, as I guess millions of people did. It says my family gets this monthly payment few bucks a month, but for people uh, making around the poverty line, it's a larger payment, a meaningful amount of money. Now, before you go ahead and just completely write me off as a chubby Caucasian Christian closet, a conservative, here's a few things. I'm not against children. I'm not against children. I want children to be safe. I want them to grow up in safe neighborhoods and get a good education. I want them to be able to eat. I want them to be able to breathe clean, fresh air. We give over 10% of our earnings to our church who do a lot of back to school and homeless shelter and overseas missions with that money. They help a lot of people with it. So not only that, but my wife and I, we also give money to a organization downtown Baltimore, which helps people get jobs. So if they're on any sort of addiction or anything, they have people there to help them with that. And then they provide them suits and they let them shower so that they can go interview for a job and eventually get a job. I am not against helping individuals under the poverty line. I want to help individual individuals under the poverty line. I do help individuals under the poverty line. And I have I've always had this idea about socialism, Marxism. Now for all you Christians out there, just hear me out before I go too crazy. When God first created man, he told him to be fruitful and multiply. He provided everything that he needed there. Man didn't know he was naked. He was going to work the garden and bear its fruits. Sounds a lot like to me like a socialist concept. Him and Eve and their children 
do their fair share and they get a fair share of the food and profit from it. Now, here is the interesting part of that story and how it relates to our society today. Human beings are very selfish. We are very selfish. God told Adam and Eve that they could eat from any tree of the garden except for just one. And what did they want to do? They wanted to eat just one. Unfortunately, as humans, if we don't receive something, we most likely will not contribute something. And that that's sad. It, it really shouldn't be that way. But unfortunately, that's just how we're wired. And I don't necessarily think that selfishness has entirely negative connotation with it. For instance, why do we eat? I eat because I'm hungry. I don't eat because you're hungry. Does that make sense? That's a selfish desire. Why do I sleep? I sleep because I'm tired. I don't sleep because you're tired, which as Christians, I think it's important that we have to remember Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated. And I really do think that's why Jesus said that. Jesus knows that we have selfish instincts. And if we take a moment to recognize those selfish instincts and then say, this is how I would like to be treated. So I'm going to treat my neighbor like that to attempt to reflect that selfish desire to something more positive. Now, one thing that I was actually surprised that NPR did is, and I'm going to play it here soon, they did break down how we would pay for it. Now, the woman who they're interviewing here, who's going to jump in, she is the current United States Secretary of Treasury. Her name is Janet Yellen, and she was appointed January 26, 2021. How much does this cost for millions of people? Congress did the math on it, and this year the tax credit will cost about $105 billion. Now, if it becomes permanent, it would mean $105 billion or so every year. Mm. Right now, the child tax credit is a temporary program. Do you think it should become permanent? Yes, I do. I think it's a very important program that will do a huge amount to relieve child poverty, which has been a tremendously important problem in the United States. So I think this is something that's very important to continue. There are some remarkable statistics associated with this child tax credit. Millions of people whose families are below the poverty line flip over the poverty line, uh, technically leave poverty just because of this, this payment. But how would the government pay for that? Taxes, taxes. Secretary Yellen told me the U.S. needs to raise its corporate tax rate, which we've heard a lot of, and to get other countries to agree to a global minimum corporate tax rate so that American companies do not just bounce for tax havens as they've Hmm. been doing. We have an enormous tax gap. By that, I mean the difference between the amount that the Internal Revenue Service actually collects and what it estimates it's really due if all taxpayers, companies, and individuals were paying what they owe under our laws. And it's estimated that over the next decade, that will amount to $7 trillion. Presidents promise that families making under $400,000 a year will not see their taxes go up is, quote, ironclad. Taxes, taxes, taxes. Liberals do a great job of this, pulling on your heartstrings and then saying, we can do all this and you don't even have to pay for it. 
And again, yes, I want more people out of poverty. I want more people above the poverty line because the more people that succeed, the more America succeeds. And what better way to give someone a rags to riches story than the concept of capitalism? Capitalism, democracy, you can do, you can be whatever you want to be. Where as when we start moving towards a socialistic society, we start to have bread lines and something like Cuba where they only get a handful of eggs a month. So they tell you that you don't have to pay for it. And then if you make under $400,000 a year, that that's ironclad that your taxes aren't going to go up, which doesn't scare me in the least bit. My wife and I combined don't even make half of that. And I am sure that there are people out there who do not pay their fair share of taxes. People, companies, CEOs, whatever. But if we're going to raise taxes on all corporations, let me let me explain how this is going to work. Corporations and companies don't pay taxes. Jeff Zucker at CNN is not going to sit back and say, you know what? I'll take a smaller paycheck this year so we can pay the taxes out of my paycheck. That That's not how that works. That is not how that works. They do every single thing they can to make cuts and save money so that they can pay the taxes. They're not going to give the coffee boy a wage increase. They're not going to hire any other analysts or reporters. They're not going to hire any other investigators. And they might even have to lay a couple people off because they can't afford it. I don't know about you, but I have never received a paying job from a hobo, from a homeless individual, from someone below the poverty line. Every single job that I have gotten has been from a company or individual that had some sort of surplus that was saying, yes, I have the money and the work. I need to bring another person on. So if we increase taxes on the rich and corporations, you can only do it to a certain extent because eventually they're going to say, we're just not going to hire anybody. We're just not going to try to produce different products. They're going to make every single budget cut that they can. And then they're going to charge you more for the product because it costs them more to make it. So that is an argument that I feel very passionate about. If anybody ever wants to argue about raising taxes on big corporations and the wealthy, please reach out to me. You can do it on Facebook. You can also go to my Anchor account and leave me a message. Let me know how to get in contact with you. Let's do a Zoom call or something. Because if you raise taxes to a certain extent on the rich and major corporations, these corporations and wealthy individuals are going to change their lifestyles and the way they run things to remain wealthy. And the individuals who are really going to get hurt is the middle class working citizen who is going to have to pay more for everyday goods and services, lose jobs, receive lower rate wages, and everything will inflate and cost more. Unfortunately, that is not even close to the scariest part of this entire episode. One other part that's very scary is how happy Steve a stinky is of getting a letter from Joe Biden. It's a little scary. I would love to sit down and talk to Steve Astinky and ask him why he's so happy that he got this letter and why he's so proud of this individual. I think it would be a very interesting conversation. All joking aside, though, the scariest aspect of this entire episode, this entire story, one of the scariest episodes I have ever heard of this Up First podcast is this communist, socialist, Marxism concept of a medium government salary or wage that comes in monthly that individuals need to survive. And one of the scariest parts about this is that people do truly believe, there are crazy people out there who do truly believe 
that NPR is an unbiased source, that they are government funded, which if you do some research, uh, the majority of their funding does not come from the government. However, there is a small percentage that does. There is a small, and this is the craziest part, there's a small percentage of their funded that comes from individuals who pay taxes in a capitalist society. So it's very odd that this company would attempt to push a socialist agenda when their funding is due to a capitalist society. It's very scary. Once you think about that, once you go down that trail with me, things get fuzzy and they don't make a whole lot of sense, which is why this socialistic Marxism ideal and way of life is so scary. If you look at all of the other major socialistic societies, the USSR, currently China, and the the way things work in America right now, these crazy left socialistic ideas are initially rejected just because they're so crazy. But slowly, slowly, as the public gets worn down and they're brought up time and time and time again, people get worn down by them and the, the argument begins to make more sense, more and more sense. So the fact that this NPR podcast is not only partially government funded, but then tells me that it's the news that I need to start my day and then push a socialistic propaganda agenda on me is a little scary. It's it's really scary. And this is how socialism starts. NPR is planting just that little seed that we should get a monthly wage for our child which sounds great it sounds great and that's what socialism does they want to take all of your worries and pain away you don't have to worry about car payments you don't have to worry about house payments you don't have to worry about food child care education everything is free 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 but at the end of the day when everything is free and the government has come in to help that ronald reagan said that the scariest thing anyone can ever say is don't worry i'm from the government and i'm here to help once you are fully reliant on the government and everything you are receiving is free you're going to look in your rearview mirror and you're going to notice all of your freedoms god-given rights that you have sacrificed and given up to have a so-called perfect life possibly perfect life Please give me a country or a civilization that has successfully done this where everybody's pain and worries, everybody's stress has been cleared away, everything is free, 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 and they still have the right to speak. They still have the right to practice their religion, to gather, to peacefully protest, to fight for human rights, to elect their own officials. Because I tell you, once you are fully reliant on the government, you don't have any say in what human rights are. You don't have any say in what your leaders are. They own you. You are reliant on them. And therefore, you have no other freedoms. You've given up all of your freedoms in order to receive a false sense of security because it never it never works out like that that's gonna wrap me up for today here please look me up on facebook anchor youtube wherever you get your podcast just search the chubby caucasian christian closeted conservative and look for my eagle i actually had a family member paint that eagle and i loved it so much 
that she gave me the original. Now, she has a Redbubble account, and you can get this eagle on mugs, travel mugs, you can get it on t-shirts and backpacks. She actually just painted another eagle of uh, the eagle is clutching the American flag. It's a beautiful piece of artwork, and I'm debating getting it on a travel mug. I think it would look really cool on a travel mug. But anyhow, go check out her Redbubble account. You go to redbubble.com and search Robin and Brown. That's in the color brown. You can also look for her website in my description and go on over. She's very patriotic. She loves the Lord, loves this country, and her artwork is just beautiful. So go on over to Redbubble account and pick up a t-shirt or travel bug today. Again, I want to start a conversation, so please feel free to like, rate, comment, subscribe. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you later.